You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Dr. Allison Marshall. And I'm Dr. John Langlois. And you are listening to the special monthly Chi University episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network. Good morning, Horse World. So, John, today we have a wonderful guest who is somebody that I refer to as my little sister, quite frankly, um, Dr. Carmen Frank Flippin. Um, I don't even know when she graduated from vet school, but she's been a vet in a more rural community. You know, I'm in the Richmond, Virginia area, and she's in a more rural community here. But she is one of the neatest, savviest veterinarians that I've ever met. Um, she's a little power pack of energy, Dr. Carmen Frank Flippin. And um, she's going to come to us today to talk about two really neuro-based cases. We're going to talk about electroacupuncture and a little neurology today. Um, and she's going to bring us some two fun cases. Good morning. And uh, Dr. Carmen Frank Flippen, and you are here today to talk to us about the infamous ditch pony. And every anybody who follows you on Facebook knows all about ditch pony. And I'm real excited that you would come and talk to us a little bit about his case. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And, um, and thank you also in advance for your mentorship over the years and friendship. So that's been uh-huh. great and definitely integral to his case as well. Um, yeah, so I, I would have to say Ditch Pony found me. Um, in 2016, um, you know, we were part of a very small community and I'm uh, friends with the animal control officers. And I got a call um, from the animal control officer, Brian Wooten, saying that I needed to come and bring my trailer to pick up this pony. And so <laughs> I said, okay. So I finished my call, hooked up to the trailer, drove off to the other side of Amelia. And that, I, I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't what I found. Um, <laughs> there was a um, back road, um, a, a large wooded area, no driveways around. There was a turnaround, like maybe an old logging uh, head of a road. And um, there was a big mound of dirt that had been uh, pushed back for that turnaround. And right behind that was this little ditch. And in that ditch was a semi-paralyzed pony uh, on the rear limbs. Um, If you helped him stand and locked his stifles, he could stand. Um, And we'd had the perfect weather scenario that day that it had rained the day before and then frozen. So any footprints (laughs) of him walking in or out um, were perfectly preserved and he was unable to stand. So someone had literally found a back road and dropped this pony in a ditch. about 17-year-old, absolutely gorgeous little Welsh stallion, um, and he was very personable, and so we loaded him onto the trailer, and, you know, I think a lot of the cases you get into in your career, you have no idea what you're getting into when they start, and you look back on them, and you go, why did I do that? Um, but, you know, at that yeah, point, you're and why didn't them. I take and, pictures? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. So... Uh, Brought him back to the clinic, got him dried up because, of course, he was, you know, covered in frozen mud. And um, 
and at that point was you know, naively thinking that someone was going to come claim this pony when in reality, I'm sure he was just dumped due to his condition. But um, after a few diagnostics in a few days, he had the second highest titer of EPM um, that I have ever seen. Um, so that's the the possum pairs. I don't know where you guys are uh, located. They're listening to the show, but in Virginia, 80% of horses test positive for um, these parasites that are found in opossum feces that are ingested and basically travel up and cause damage in this in the spinal cord. And um, he was literally the second highest titer I've ever had. So um, wow. immediately started treating him with Western medicine. Um, Banamine for anti-inflammatory effect, Marquee and Rebalance are both EPM treatments. Um, and Levamisole is also an immune stimulant. Um, just because he was such a tough case, we also treated him like he could possibly have concurrent Lyme because he did have a moderate titer, so he's also on minocycline. Mm-hmm. Decoquinate is also used as a supportive care item for, for EPM, and we added that as well. And then because I had gone to the Chi Institute, where both of you are lovely instructors, mm-hmm. um, in 2014-2015, um, I added in some Wei Chi Booster. Um, and he, um, when you first start treating these parasites, um, you often have what's called a treatment crisis because if they have a high number of parasites and you kill them rapidly, sometimes you can have inflammation from, um, those dying parasites. And he had a heck of a treatment crisis. So he went from being able to have enough muscle tone to that. If you helped him stand and locked his stifles, he could stand to, we basically had to pick him up. And this is where I said, you know, I I don't, you look back on what you've done in your life and you don't know, I don't don't know how I did that. Um, (laughs) But um, at the time, you know, I didn't, he wasn't mine. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was just treating him the best that I could. We actually built him a sling. And so he was only about 500 pounds, built him a sling, started um, kind of rehabbing him. And about two weeks into the treatment crisis, um, right at that moment where I was like, I'm not sure if I can do this anymore, he started showing a little sign of able to right himself so he could at least roll up. So he was in in lateral recumbency after his treatment crisis. He just got worse to that point. Yes. Yes. So he progressed where he was completely paralyzed, like no muscle tension whatsoever, tone whatsoever on his left. And very minimal on the right. So we would grade that as a five out of five on our neuro score, zero being normal, five being paralyzed, and a heavy four on the right. And again, why I did this, I don't know. But, you know, you look back and you do it. (laughs) A lot of times small animal practitioners have dogs dropped off that are strays, but it's pretty unusual for an equine practitioner to have a stray horse. (laughs) Let alone one like that. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Right, right. Well, and during that time, you know, I started incorporating in some acupuncture as well. And um, I don't know if you remember this phone call, Allison. I had had done some acupuncture on him and he was worse the next day. And, you know, acupuncture was... Yeah, it was new in my toolbox at the time. I'd only been out a year or two and I'm, you know, toying with why am I still dragging this on? There's news cameras in my driveway. You know, it was, it was like in the fishbowl of working on this pony. And you said, Carmen, she said, 
you said, this is, this is how you know it's going to work. That's a great sign because the body has to rest and then it's going to bounce back on the other side. And I blindly trusted as I often do and was <laughs> rewarded with the next day he was a little bit stronger. And the next time I treated him, he was a little bit stronger. And, um, you know, obviously it was a, a great compilation of Western and Eastern medicine. He spent about two, two months in the sling. And we would get him up during the day and lay him down at night. And he uh, started out just kind of hanging in the sling, and but at least he wasn't laying on the ground. And we made him a little smorgasbord of hay around him, and he could eat whatever he wanted. To he would support himself and then sit in the sling. And towards the end, it was almost just to kind of balance him. And when he started pulling to the edge of the sling and winding up the cord, we decided to start just assisting him to walk. And um, actually turned him loose in our front yard because he couldn't go very far and at least he could lay down on the nice soft grass and he would migrate (laughs) around the front yard grazing the winter grass and whatever hay piles we left him out there and then by about may or june he got to the point where he needed a fence and um he kind of hasn't looked back so um very very cool case and you know i actually gave up along the way and he just never did and that was just pretty amazing and also just helping him walk along the way there were techniques learned that were able to be done safely with a 500 pound pony that can be very tricky with a thousand pound horse, but learning some of those techniques to aid a neurologic horse in mobilization and standing, they were invaluable and they're things that aren't in textbooks. <laughs> and so definitely a very cool guy. And um, he is a flippin' now. Um, so he's still with me. <laughs> and his job is to look and eat hay. And I, I never actually gelded him because I was so afraid that it would be hard on him at that at that point in life. So he is used as a teaser stallion now and he's very proud of his job. Absolutely loves it. He's a little, you know, if he goes to spin around to run across the field, it's a little sloppier than your average horse, but he is very capable of being a, a live, happy, spunky pony and, and a teaser stallion very, very uh, vivaciously with no problems. So, Hey, Carmen, just um, curious, do you remember you said his titer was really high? Do you remember what that was? It was about one to 2,200. Okay. So, um, to you know, yeah. So, you know, a lot of our positive cases are in the 500, 800 range. We we do feel like the titers, I, I run mine through um, UC Davis, the vet school in California, mm-hmm. and their scale of interpretation of their test does not necessarily apply to our titers in Virginia since we see so much of it. And so, uh, you know, we feel like 80% of horses will test positive, but their titers are low. You know, they're in the 200 range, one to 200 range. And so, you know, one to 2,200 is just astronomical. And he was actually positive for both species as well. One was one to 600 or one to 650, I think it was. And the other one was one to uh, 2,200. So just, you know, tenfold over uh, exposure positive. Yeah, very good. Thank you. And, you know, there's such a, a controversy about the testing process and what it might what it might yield based on a positive and a negative. But when you have clinical signs like this and then you have a high titer, um, you're done. You don't have to go get CSF fluid and so on and so forth. Um, so this a beautiful case. Very, very, very interesting. And, uh, you know, we have had situations with EPM where horses have been totally recumbent. 
and you're trying to find out what is their disease. And um, it's it's rather unusual for that to happen, but it can. So it's a difficult disease and, um, like I said, a great outcome and great result. Tell me, tell, tell me how much you did and how, how aggressive you had to be in the beginning and like acupuncture protocol, you know, just in case any of our listeners have a, what, what are they in for with this kind of treatment? Obviously time heals all, but uh, how did you encourage that with acupuncture? Right, right. So I'll be perfectly honest. In the beginning, it was such a whirlwind um, that I probably didn't treat him with any needles for about two weeks. And like I said, in the beginning, you know, he still had a lot of muscle mass. He was able to stand. Once he started hitting that treatment crisis, anything in my truck, I was like, put it in the pony. Let's see if it helps. So got out my needles one night and initially just started uh, working with just the plain needles, dry dry needles, um, not adding any electro in, in the beginning. Um, I didn't want to overwhelm him. You know, we were already, he was already on every medication under the sun and was really struggling with, you know, the results of those. And I will say it wasn't until I did that round of electro somewhere around week two or three that, you know, later that day and the next day he was, you know, had started showing signs of a little bit of muscle tone and then did not that next day. And I thought I had just overwhelmed him. You know, at the time he was, you know, recumbent, so it was very difficult to even be able to place needles. But I really focused on, you know, our uh, bladder meridian and spleen meridian, just trying to, you know, connect front to back, um, side to side, and then spleen for, uh, you know, support of muscle function and just, um, you know, really tried to just bring him together. You know, that's what we do with our electro units is just, you know, try to bring parts of the body to, to talk. So, and, and then, like I said, the next day he was back to just kind of laying there like a bowl of jello. And um, that's when you gave me your infinite wisdom. And so from there, when I saw that, okay, cause and effect, you know, where, you know, everything helped him. I'm not saying this wasn't, you know, a team effort of Eastern or Western medicine, but it was, I needled him. He was a little bit worse and then he was better the next day. And so uh, about a week out, then I repeated that electroacupuncture and saw a little less of a, um, I guess, low. So uh, it was a little bit more just positive. And then I did it once a week for, I'd probably say about six weeks mm-hmm. and then maybe backed up a little bit from there. Um, but, you know, at that point he was in the sling, so I could get to a lot more of the points on his legs. You know, I could still treat over his top line. And, and also at that point, it, I think much almost like a treatment crisis, you know, I guess I hadn't really thought of it that way, but you know, he wasn't having the low, he was just almost kind of having the high. I will say the beginning was a little bit more profound in its effect, I guess, because he, you know, had so much, you know, area to travel, whereas towards the end, he was already kind of steadily improving a little bit every day. And so I didn't see something quite as profound, but uh, you know, we were speaking uh, prior to the interview, and I, I feel like um, I don't know that I've ever had a neurologic case, whether it's EPM or uh, spinal arthritis or anything that has not responded to acupuncture in some way, which is is pretty amazing because, you know, we don't have a lot of options um, out there. You know, we can kill the parasites, but you're just waiting for the body to respond. 
Um, sure. And to be able to help the body respond is is pretty pretty amazing. I will say, you know, the cobbler's kids don't get any shoes, so he probably hasn't had <laughs> acupuncture in a year or two. But you know, if he ever has um, a low spot, he did have one point about three years ago where I think he almost tried to relapse, and I kept him on rebalance long term, about two days out of the week for several years, just because you know a third of these cases relapse, and when they do relapse, they usually relapse worse. And um, mm-hmm. rebalance has been a great option for these guys. Um, I don't think the paper was ever officially published, but um, Sharon Watonsky at Virginia Tech, my alma mater, started doing a study on long-term treatment of EPM with rebalance. So the horses that are chronically relapsing and or poorly responsive, she did long-term treatment with rebalance, which is the old shake that we started out with in the 90s, um, the methamine. Yep. Um, and she had great responses on these guys that were chronic relapsing. And then also the ones that, you know, on average, they are supposed to improve one to two neuro scores. Well, say you only get to one or say you're at a grade three or four the, or a four or five the way he was. That's a very rare thing. You know, if we'd only gotten him to a three, I don't know that he would have really been safe to himself. You know, he might have still really struggled out in the field. And I'd say now, you know, if you do a neuro exam on him, there might be a few, you know, circling tests that that touch on a three, but he's basically at two, which is a happy pasture horse. So that's great. Or if, you know, if you have a performance performance horse that's, you know, not responding well and you've got to do tempi changes or slotting stops or, you know, whatever their their discipline may be, getting that last half a neuro score out of them in, in improvement not only is great for quality of life, but also might be the difference between between them returning to their full performance or not. You know, Dr. Shea, when he speaks of EPM and most of the time with many diseases like equine metabolic syndrome, he feels that TCVM medicine, including the herbal, is going to be a better approach than the Western approaches. But in the case of EPM, he really feels like you've got to kill the parasite first. So that's what you did in a good way. And did you ever consider using, you know, Jingtong has a, a, a formulation for EPM, which has herbs also to kill. And just a, a thought about it for the listeners and for myself, for reoccurrence, this herbal is beautiful to use. And in other words, uh, for a month, maybe uh, every three months for one month, put it on the herbal. And you, um, I don't know that any studies have been done yet, but it's, a, it's an alternative to perhaps continuing on with the Western medicine. That's cool, John. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I actually do believe, Allison, you coached me to use a second herb early on, and he did not want to eat it. And so I don't know with, whether that was you know, unusual for his case. And I, I actually, until you said that, I think I'd pack that away in my, my memory. But um, I do think we initially had him on another and you know, stopped that um, because of you know, poor consumption. Well, and John, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't the protocol for using the EPM herb, which is the Ching Hao San, isn't the protocol for treatment technically to use that with Wei Chi Booster? I mean, I think that's the two together, correct? Yes, correct. And, but I, in, you know, in conversations with Dr. Shea, he, um, you know, in, in, in many different ways, he, he is very much a proponent of using the Western approach to the medications to kill the parasite and then switch over to, to this, which is also used, again, treatment and prevention. Well, and that makes so much sense. You know, everything that I've learned with TCVM is that herbals, the only thing they, well, you know, we all, we all know, we're all, we all drank the Kool-Aid. We all know how well Chinese medicine works, but parasites are not 
I mean, you know, as far as heartworm prevention and that sort of thing, any sort of deworming is best left to um, the Western meds. But I, I think I've used the Wei Chi booster a lot in conjunction with um, the regular synthetic medication. And I feel the Wei Chi booster, I've, I've used that for horses that have been chronic relapsers, not thinking about using the Ching Haosan itself. And I have felt like the Wei Chi booster helps the chronic relapsers too. So the Wei Qi booster formulation from Jingtong Herbal, as mentioned, is uh, a, a formulation of about 10 or 11 different herbs that enhance the immune system. So we know that when the EPM kind of takes hold, it's an immune system that's maybe not up to par to handle it. So the Wei Qi booster is used to stimulate the immune system uh, in conjunction with a uh, Another herb, which would be a Jing Haosan and or your Western medicine. So it's a, it's, a, it's a way of combining the two medicines, of getting the immune system enhanced to prevent a recurrence. And I, I feel like they've done some studies and they sort of think that that's why EPM does relapse, especially in performance horses and horses that are under stress. That certainly makes sense that um, those, those horses are their immune system is lowered. And so the Wei Qi booster would really help that. Well, and, and Carmen, you made the mention of, um, and I agree with you 100% that I have not found a case of neurology and everybody freaks out at that word, but anything involving the neuro system or the neuromuscular system, the spinal system or weakness. And in my mind, weakness is on that contingent of that, that continuum, sorry, of, uh, of neurology, but I have had, I can't think of a case that really hasn't responded. Sometimes they haven't held very well when I stop the electroacupuncture. I can think of a cute, tall, lanky thoroughbred that built himself up and ended up looking like a warm blood because he was so well muscled. And then I think over time he kind of lost that. But um, you, you had another case that you and I were talking about that uh, you were going to bring to the table and, and entertain us with. Yes, absolutely. And that's uh, another neuro case, but no, non-EPM case. Um, so um, I, I think, Allison, you you coined this phrase, and I, and I love it and use it regularly, that a lot of times, even myself, even being trained in it, I, you know, mixing the Western and Eastern medicine, I, I kind of, we call it last chance veterinary medicine, like, well, everything else didn't work. Let's try acupuncture. And um, I was called in um, to a case, a 26-year-old paint gelding named Jigsaw at a local riding barn right up the road for me. Two of my lovely colleagues had worked on this horse together um, and had done a great job in all the Western medicine. They had treated him for EPM as well, just because he was um, not doing well. But um, he, in my presumption and following him over the next year, probably had some pretty gnarly um, cervical arthritis that was uh, causing, you know, a neuropathy, uh, a little bit of hypermetric gait or uh, increased gait in his front end where he's kind of reaching for the ground and then weakness behind, some atrophy over his top line. And actually, when I was called, and again, last chance veterinary medicine for real, he <laughs> had been uh, unable to retract his penis into his sheath for about six weeks. So it dangled about two or three inches. And then he had had three days that they had initially just thought it was a colic, but um, 
lo- looking, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and they realized this at this point, that he was unable to pass feces from his rectum due to lack of nervous stimulation. So we really were at, okay, Carmen, either you fix this thing or we're going to put it to sleep, which is a very precarious position to be called in on day one. And uh, one of my colleagues, Dr. Eliason, met me there. She's a, a lovely human and, and also has a great respect for chiropractic really and acupuncture. And, yep. um, and, you know, she explained it to me, but I didn't really understand the severity until I walk in and see this horse. And he was in their little treatment cross ties and he just looked like he was asking, why am I here? And, you know, I pulled her to the side and I said, you know, doc, like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't even want to take this lady's money. Like this is horrible. You know, I don't know. And she says, she, you know, she's very realistic that she just wants to try this one last thing. And if not, then we're going to let him go. And I said, okay. So I dutifully get out my chiropractic block and I'm, you know, doing my acupuncture scan, you know, trying to check my points and palpating over his top line. And I, you know, his neck is an absolute board. It's not moving at all. And without any neck films. And they'd also done, um, a lot of supportive care things. You know, he was 26. Um, the owner was realistic. She didn't have a huge budget. Um, they put him on Equiox. They had actually, the other veterinarian had injected his hocks just in case that was part of the weakness in the beginning because, of course, it progressed to the point where I came in. Um, he was on Adequan. He had also been on uh, Rebalance for EPM. So all those things had already been done. And so I'm uh, range motioning his neck. Um, I didn't really adjust his neck because I was afraid uh, I was going to do too much in this guy. And then just kind of start adjusting through his hind end. Again, a lot of what I was doing was not a true manipulation, but just, uh, you know, working through that range of motion. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And um and, you know, I'm literally doing it this with this heavy heart thinking, why am I even doing this? And I trudge out to my truck, you know, to go grab my needles. And Dr. Etta, she says, uh, Doc, you got to get back in here. And I'm thinking, what in the world have I done? <laughs> and I walk back <laughs> through the door and she's pointing and he's actually retracted his penis into a sheath. And again, he hadn't done that for six weeks. And uh, we stare at each other and I'm com- in complete disbelief. <laughs> I know that I had just touched this horse, but I didn't believe what I was seeing. And, um, and I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> I said, let me go get my needles. So I, I skipped back out to the truck and grabbed my acupuncture kit and, and start putting needles in him. And, um, and, you know, the horse is still just standing there, like, kind of asleep. And um, about two minutes in, so, you know, they have a release of chi or energy, sometimes a delayed effect after um, the, the needles have been in for a while, called a chi response. And he starts kind of treading around and pawing. And, you know, and I'm kind of assessing the situation, like, did I do too much? You know, I, but again, you know, I don't, what too little could also be very detrimental as well, seeing as how I was the last step here. Right. And the owner said, no, he hates the cross ties. He always paws in the cross ties. And right about that time, he lifted his tail and passed about three or four fecal balls. And I mean, we literally had tears in our eyes. I mean, it was just, it was probably the most astounding chiropractic and acupuncture response I've ever had. And that horse, so we obviously, we uh, hooked up the electro, we treated him that day. I came back a second time that week, and then I treated him, I believe, at uh, three times at one-week intervals, and then progressed out to a month. And that horse, 
never looked back. He did great. Um, and in fact, um, he did so, so he obviously he started passing feces normally. He was able to retract into his sheath. He moved back up the pecking order in the field. He had moved down to the bottom because he was getting picked on. Um, he was back up to top dog in the field. And, and even though I can't say that I was, I was happy that they was working, but it's not sure that I would professionally really recommend this, but they actually started riding him again in a walk. And, um, and she said he would jig on the trail, like wanting to go faster. So that horse, I mean, was basically reborn again with, with just Eastern medicine. That was where, you know, all the Western medicine had already been done. And although I think everything helped him a little bit, nothing really fixed it. And, um, I will say that horse after about a year and a half started declining and the owner was very realistic and loved him very much and, and did let him go on. But, um, you know, for that at least year or a year and a few months, he had a great quality of life that he would have not had without chiropractic and acupuncture. And it, it was, it was earth shattering. I, it was, again, like you said earlier, you wish you'd taken pictures. I wish we had a video. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was it was absolutely astounding and, um, and really cool. And, you know, that horse probably could have benefited from some neck injections as well. But again, she, there was a limited budget and the chiropractic and acupuncture was less expensive. And also, you know, at what point do you keep doing invasive means with a 26 year old, you know, whereas a couple of acupuncture needles and some manipulations were very reasonable. Again, Allison, we spoke about this, you know, before the interview that I feel like, what human isn't walking around with a little neck or back pain and these horses are carrying us. And so very rarely do I find a horse that doesn't have some sort of neck issue. And even if it's secondary, it's definitely a problem. And I feel like some of them are also primary. Um, But, you know, in this guy, I mean, I I literally, I think it was, he was, I mean, absolutely astronomical in his response, which was really neat. And so immediate, you know, we think about, we think about nerves taking a while to regrow, but you know, what was that? How, how did that happen? Was the spine actually somehow, it must've been somehow compromised um, in that lower lumbar Mm -hmm. area that directly related to those nerves. It's amazing that something that had been going on for six weeks could respond that quickly too. That doesn't make any sense in the way that we're trained medically. You know, we just, that, that's, we say that's not possible yet it happens which is so cool yeah absolutely and again going back to those those net cases i i i do i do a lot of performance horse medicine so i do uh joint injections i'm not yet offering um uh, cervical facet injections. I usually refer those out, but there are a lot of cases where, you know, the horse isn't quite doing right. You're either on a limited time frame or they haven't necessarily reached the point that you want to, you know, move to that step. And I've had great luck with both the cervical formula, um, herbal from Jingtang Herbal, as well as with electroacupuncture through the cervical region and really freeing these horses up. And I feel like the neck horses, the true neck horses, especially when everything else has been fixed, you change their life when you fix their neck. It can take a trudgy, lazy horse and make them energetic, or it can make a rushy, nervous horse and make them calm. And, you know, I tell my clients all the time, try to go about your day not moving your neck. You can't do it. You know, Mm -hmm. you start clenching your jaw, you start doing weird contortions with your body, you know, so if a horse is bracing through the base of their neck, especially, you know, I feel like it completely changes their entire, you know, carriage and and comfort level. 
Totally agree. I'm amazed at the myriad of clinical signs. Just like you said, sometimes treating their necks, whether it's function or pain, and I don't believe that I don't believe that all horses with neck problems are necessarily painful in their neck because I've treated them and I think cervical formula is extremely specific for the cervical vertebra. I've tried using it for the upper thoracics, which would be the withers in the horse. And I don't, I don't get a lot of um, um, change there, but uh, you know, just the simple clinical signs of I'm really sluggish and I feel better or I'm jigging because I'm painful and I don't, I can't tell my owner any other way, you know, the, the, those clinical signs might be mild, but they're huge to the horse in their performance. Absolutely. I had a case with, uh, you know, had gone through five or six different veterinarians to try and understand why this horse wasn't moving well. And, you know, the short of it, we decided that it was going to be a cervical case, took it up, got radiographs and showed uh, disease at C6, C7. And what we could do with that horse with six treatments over two months was phenomenal. The horse went on to do, be, was, you know, grade three out of five ataxic and went on to be um, in the Special Olympics because the rider had some paralysis in a limb. So, um, yeah, so many testimonials for us to be able to improve the, the animal's ability to function with cervical work. Well, Carmen, thank you so much. Um, I, I've always marveled. It, it seemed uh, when I worked at a fairly big practice here in Richmond as a regular vet, and I hate to even admit that that was over 20 years ago, it always seemed like one of my colleagues, <laughs> and you might remember the infamous Mike Stanford, um, who is no longer in our area. Hopefully he's listening. Hi, Mike. Um, Mike would get the craziest <laughs> cases. Oh my gosh, he would get the crazy cases. And I would look at him and go, how did you handle that? And, you know, I, I think sometimes as a practitioner that is not in a metropolitan area, such as you are, you know, you do get some of the crazy stuff. And isn't that what a neat opportunity really that is to do some great healing and just put one foot in front of the other and see what you can offer and uh, what's accepted. It's awesome. Thank you for bringing those two Absolutely. fabulous cases. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. So, John, after listening to all of that with Carmen, I know that we've discussed cervical stuff before on the podcast. Um, and you and I had talked before a little bit about laryngeal hemiplegia, which is kind of a cervical issue when you really think about it. And what that is for the listeners is when a horse is a roarer, which means that they have vocal cord paralysis, it's actually related to muscles, or sorry, to nerves, because all of the nerves are what plugs into the vocal cords. So, um, John, did you want to, uh, you've got some cases, some neat, neat uh, laryngeal hemiplegia cases to talk about, correct? Yes. Yeah, so, my practice is, um, over the years, uh, a reasonably high concentration in the thoroughbred. So I am faced with uh, oftentimes a lot of laryngeal disease in, uh, or throat disease in the horse. So it's a frequent flyer for me. And um, number one on that list is laryngeal hemiplegia. It is uh, a neuromuscular dysfunction. There is a nerve that runs along the side of the neck called the recurrent laryngeal nerve that for some reason doesn't function well. And this prevents a, a muscle from pulling the retinoid cartilages, the main openings to the throat, to the horse breathes through, uh, from, from opening all the way. And we sometimes can hear these in the horse. We'll hear a little bit of noise. 
Uh, and this noise, if it happens when the horse is inspiring or taking a breath in, it's a little bit more uh, what we call pathognomonic, meaning this is usually a problem with that cartilage not opening correctly. So it's, a, a, as I mentioned, a frequent flyer for me. And, and West, Western medicine does not offer a whole lot for this condition. Eastern medicine does. Um, there's been a study or several studies that have been done to show that acupuncture can improve the, the, the function of the, of the throat, in this case, 80%. I would say that that's my success rate out in the field is probably there as well, 80 to 85%. So we can offer them improvements to, um, to their performance. And so when we're considering, I'm considering doing this, I want to know how severe the condition is. And maybe sometimes we have an understanding of how chronic it might be. So the American Association of Equine Practitioners came up with a grading scale where one is reasonably normal, there's, a, there's symmetry to the opening of the uretinoids, and they fully go back or fully abduct. If we get to grade two, that means that there is some asymmetry to the movement of those uretinoids. They might be what we call lazy. They just don't open uh, in a real crisp fashion. And there's a 2A, 2B. 2B is more moderate, 2A is mild. And then three, we're getting into where the animal cannot fully abduct your retinoids that can take them all the way back. And at four, we have total paralysis. There's no movement. So I'm able to help those twos and maybe the, the mild threes, but I'm not able to help four with acupuncture. And I tell clients, please don't waste your money. Um, we're not going to get anywhere with acupuncture for a totally paralyzed situation. So those are surgical cases. And so what we can offer again, I would say the average is three to seven treatments of acupuncture, and we can improve them from a grade 2A, 2B to normal function. So this is a beautiful thing. And we, we, we know that the higher incident of this disease is in the thoroughbred. In one study, 58% of the horses that came in out of 375 horses were thoroughbred. 27% uh, were crosses of the thoroughbred, 7% in the draft, and then on to warm bloods, about 5%. So all, all horses can do this, but again, the thoroughbred has a high incidence. It tends to be 96% on the left side, 2% uh, on the right side and 2% bilateral, meaning both retinoids are involved. There is a little bit of age predilection in that males are almost three times more likely to get this condition than females. So, um, and there are, there are a number of other conditions that occur in, in the throat that we're faced with. And these, again, are, are, are not all thoroughbred situations, but uh, we can have situations where the epiglottis becomes entrapped by a mucosal membrane. We can also have a dorsal displacement of the soft palate. And we hear these horses, these are gurgly. They're inspiratory and expiratory, breathe in, breathe out, noisy. Um, and horses that have the dorsal displacement, when they're in performance, they're not able to perform well at all. Most of the time, they have to drop out of performance because they can't get their air in. And that is also a neuromuscular problem. So that is something that we can treat with TCVM effectively. 
We may have other situations like uh, cysts underneath the epiglottis, inflammation or chondritis of the retinoids, many, many other conditions, inflammation like typical just pharyngitis and laryngitis. We can really, really uh, help these. And I use a variable approach with acupuncture. I change it up each session to try and get a little bit more stimulation from channels that run into the, the throat area. So I love it. I, I've had situations where Dr. Shea has looked at one and got the first treatment and he said, let's do six treatments and I'll do another treatment. We'll go back. And the only way that we can diagnosis this diagnosis is through an endoscope. And sometimes it requires us to have a video endoscope where we actually uh, on a treadmill or we attach it to the halter and put a scope down and watch it. These conditions can be seen in live time. I have had situations where after two treatments, the horse is normal. And that's beautiful because uh, many of the times what we're looking at is horses that are being prepared for sales and the sales buyers scrutinize these horses tremendously. So if they go in and see a problem with the throat, they're discounted significantly. I think it's important to note we're not just making these horses feel better. I think that the electroacupuncture is actually causing the nerves to regrow and reconnect into that area. You know, so it, when you're when you're treating a three year old horse, you're actually fixing the problem. It's not even something most likely in my humble experience, and I don't have the number of cases that you do, but it's not something you need to manage over time. You actually fix the horse. Is that your experience as well, as far as you know? Yes, but we do have some relapses that occur. Oftentimes, particularly in these young horses, uh, we may do our, our, our acupuncture and we got a good result, uh, uh, but we lose track of them. So we don't know after two years or a right. year or so, maybe they'll have a, a relapse. And that's possible as in any situation. So we just go right. back to work. Right. Um, did you want to talk a little bit? I don't think we've talked on this podcast much about what Twina is and, and really how it's believed that it's really helpful for these things. Did you want to kind of go into that a little bit? Yes. And I'm going to go back just one step from there because sometimes, you know, we're, I'm treating a lot of young animals. Uh, I don't typically find in the case of laryngeal hemiplegia, this occurs before in their weanling year, but it can, but usually it's, it begins in their yearling to two-year-old year. And sometimes horses are not really wanting to have a needle in them. They're young, they're spirited, they are got a lot of energy, and they don't want you to put needles in. So I have to make the decision to either relax them a little bit and do my work or, uh, or not, and oftentimes I do. But Twena is something that I can do myself. I can ask the owner, trainer, groom to do. And Twena is an ancient form of traditional uh, Chinese body work. It was the predecessor to modern chiropractic medicine. 2,500 years ago, they found that by using these techniques, and they're like massage techniques, but what separates this technique from just basic body massage is that we're using Chinese principles for our approach. And so if we have a throat dysfunction, then we really can use these techniques of massage, both near the feet using stimulation of points that come up into the throat by choosing appropriate channels that come into the throat. And there's probably six major channels that will go primarily into the throat. That's why when I'm doing this, I'll vary my techniques up 
to try and incorporate different channels to help get a better result over time. So with, with one, one technique, we are actually grabbing the larynx and actually squeezing and pulling. And we may even pull and knead. And what this is doing is it's stimulating the channels that come into the throat to be more functional. We may also use a technique called safa, which is back and forth across the cervical area and make it warm up, increasing circulation, increasing the movement of chi and blood. And that's a rapid friction technique. So there are many. And we can also cup our hand and we do a little bit of pifa to really actually uh, stimulate the fascial planes to stimulate the uh, nerves that come through there to get the energy and the blood moving so that we have more function. So Twena is a beautiful uh, technique and I love using it and teaching it at the Chi. It's awesome. And I, I love that you teach it too. I love to use it. I think it's really helpful almost in a chiropractic way. That's how I use mine and I, I do love to prescribe it, but you're an amazing teacher at that. You know, I was a Western practitioner for many years and now I can come into a situation with a little box of needles and electrical stimulation and my hands. And now I can do so much good with the horse in, in getting them adjusted sure. properly, doing the massage techniques, using acupuncture and herbal. And it's a lovely way of going. For sure. And I, I think the Twina, you explained this to me, is that it just really mobilizes energy. You know, it's a, it's a way of moving energy with our hands. And anybody has the capability of doing that. It, it kind of reinforces the power of energetic medicine to me, which sounds goofy. But, you know, I think most things that fall under the category of holistic medicine are really focused on moving the negative out of our body. So whether or not you're doing physical therapy or you're doing massage or we're doing Twina or we're doing acupuncture or we're doing the pulse electromagnetic field, the magna wave, or we're doing, you know, the beamer blanket or whatever. I, I just think it's all about moving energy and it's Twina is a really cool way of doing it. Yeah, no, and I, I really enjoy the idea of creating a team to, to do our therapy. You know, I have a, a lot of really good clients that they're always asking at the end of my treatment, you know, is there anything I can do until we see you again? And my answer is always yes. Let me show you the techniques that can be complementary to what I've done and make you a part of the team. And a lot of times it's even just grooms and I'm showing them how to do it and I've never had anybody say, no, I'm not doing that. They all want to be part of the team. So when I come back in a week and I say, good job, doc, you really helped it. Look at the difference. And so that's, that's a really, uh, twin eyes one that can be, uh, given to them to, to really help the, the overall, uh, process. Mm -hmm, for sure. Well, that's awesome, John. Thank you so much for all of that knowledge. That wraps up another Chi University podcast for uh, January 2024. Happy New Year, everybody, by the way. You can find information on acupuncture and how to find a TCVM practitioner. And for those of you new to the podcast, that stands for Traditional Chinese Veterinary Medicine. You can find a practitioner at tcvm.com. And on that webpage, there is a place where you can find a veterinarian near you that does acupuncture if you're interested in exploring uh, a modality like that for your horse. Uh, and John and I can be reached through that, um, through that website as well. We're on there as teachers. 
So as usual, I, um, I always say a little quote at the end of the day. And uh, I had a, a appointment this morning in which one of my favorite quotes came back to me. And it is a quote, I believe, by Deepak Chopra. And I hope I don't slaughter it. But it says, I feel pain, but I do not suffer. Suffering is um, a choice. So with all of that, move on through your new year and we'll see you next month. Thank you, Allison. 